You will see as I get to the message a little later why this passage of scripture is appropriate. And I'm reading from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the book of Romans, the sixth chapter and the 16th verse and following. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death are of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. There is a Greek word, doulos, which is translated two ways in your Bible. It is translated either servants or slaves. Doulos. What Paul is saying here and what God is saying through Paul is that we are servants to that which we commit ourselves. We become slaves. Whose slave are you? A slave to self, a slave to Christ. In other words, a servant to yourself or a servant of Christ. That's the perennial choice that all of us make. And Christ has come to set us free and to make us Love slaves, Paul's word. Love servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God bless the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his word. Amen. I want to tell you a story, one of the least known, but I think one of the most exciting and inspirational stories to be found in the Bible. Now, it is not found in just one place, and that's why it's, uh, it's not necessarily well known Uh, to a lot of people. Uh, The story begins in Ephesus. About 10 days ago, I and about 60 other people, many from our church, were walking down the streets of Ephesus, one of the greatest restorations in the world, one of the greatest cities uh, in the ancient world. It was there that one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was built, the Temple of Diana. It was there that uh, so many of... um, Christian leaders congregated, uh, probably more there than any other one place uh, in the New Testament world. Now, we walked down the streets, marble streets, the magnificent library there, the 22,000 seat amphitheater. Uh, It was a magnificent city. Paul uh, went to the great cities of the ancient world. He didn't go to the rural world. He went to the urban world. He went to where the concentration of of people were. He went to the educational centers like Athens, the commercial centers like Thessalonica and Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi, uh, a Roman colony. He went, Paul concentrated on the cities. As we walked down the streets of of Ephesus, which I've done before and even made some television on, you walk along there and you're walking on the same stones that Paul walked on And that the apostle John walked on for he was pastor of the church in Ephesus. The mother of Jesus walked down that street because John brought her with him to Ephesus. Because Jesus had given the custody of his mother to John. And one of his words from the cross. Uh, Timothy was pastor after John of the church in Ephesus. Um, Barnabas walked down that street. Luke walked down that street. It was just, I tell you, you really were walking where the saints of God uh, had trod. Now, Paul arrived in Ephesus 
And he began to preach there. And he began, as he often did, in the synagogue. Now, I'm reading from the 19th chapter of Acts. This is a fascinating story. And I want to get you the story and then, then, then draw some meanings from it. Beginning in the 8th verse. He entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, Uh, That was what the Christians were called early. They were called followers of the way. Followers of the way. I think that'd be a good name for Christians today. Way followers. Not wayfarers, but way followers. Followers of the way. Uh, Speaking evil of the followers of the way. uh, Before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, I want you to see what Paul was doing. He went to the synagogue and he preached there for three months and a few believed, but the others began to uh, harden their hearts and rebel. So Paul said, well, this isn't working. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go rent a facility. And he rented the hall of Tyrannus, which was a lecture hall, uh, a, ty- a small kind of Greek amphitheater. He rented that. And in one of the early texts of the Bible, there was a number of early texts of the Bible that uh, later came together. And we'll get to that in a few moments. There was the uh, Alexandrian text and the Caesarean text and the Syriac text and the Byzantine sec- uh, text and the, the uh, Western text. Uh, the Western text tells us a little bit more. Paul was there in the, in the hall of Tyrannus lecturing, reasoning from the Word of God to anybody that came and to everybody that came. And he did it every day, every day for three years from 11 o'clock in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. From 11 to 4. They closed their shops at 11 o'clock because uh, that's the heat of the day. That's true of a lot of the Mediterranean world even to this day. They would close their shops. They would go home. They would not come back to work until 4 o'clock. And so Paul took the time that time to start proclaiming the word of God. And he did it for three years every day from 11 to four. And uh, Luke tells us, the writer of the book of Acts, that all the word of the Lord went out throughout all of Asia to both Jews and Greeks. So here's Paul preaching teaching, reasoning, using the Socratic uh, approach because that was what people were accustomed to in the Greek world. That word reasoning is the word that's used there to describe what Paul did. And uh, a man came to hear him preach who lived about a hundred miles away in Laodicea. He was apparently a fairly well-to-do landowner and slave owner. His name was Philemon. Philemon was converted became a Christian. This was about 53 AD. Now stick that in your mind because the dates are important. About 53 AD, Philemon became a Christian and he went home back to Laodicea and apparently his wife and uh, and son became Christians. Well, I'll read that to you in a moment. And he began a church in his house. That's where most of the early churches began. Like at Philippi, they began in the house of Lydia, uh, the, the, the seller of purple. They began in, the, in their homes. That's where the church began. Here, Philemon goes home and starts a church uh, in his house. About 54 AD, 
one of Philemon's slaves by the name of Onesimus, which means useful, Onesimus stole something from Philemon, the slave owner, and he ran away. And he went to Rome. And about a third of the people who were walking down the streets of Rome in those days were slaves or runaway slaves. So he went over there to hide, to stay away in Rome. This was about 54, 55 AD when he ran to Rome. Now, jump ahead nine years to 63 AD. And Paul is now not in Ephesus. He is in prison in Rome. And he is preaching when he has the opportunity. And a number of his followers that were with him, a number of his disciples who were working under his tutelage were out preaching. And during that time, uh, this slave, Onesimus, heard the gospel, was converted, and began to be tutored by Paul. Here is Paul in prison, even in chains at times. And here is Onesimus along with others. This runaway slave, this thief, became a Christian, became a follower of the Lord. And Paul found out that he was a runaway slave from Philemon. And Paul knew Philemon because Philemon had become a Christian under Paul's preaching in the hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus. So Paul and the other Christians there said to, to, to uh, Onesimus, which means useful, you need to go back. You need to go back and do the right thing and tell Philemon what's happened to you. And when you go, I'm going to send a letter to Philemon that I want you to hand carry. And I'm also sending a letter to the church at Colossae. And I'm going to give that to Tissus. And he's going to go along with you. And these two letters, you two will travel together. And you will go to Laodicea. And he will go to Colossae, which is just a few miles from Laodicea. And here is the letter that I want you to hand to Philemon. Now, if you have your Bible, you'll find this little book. It's, it's unfortunate to call it a book. It's over toward the end of your New Testament. Uh, it, it, it's right before Hebrews and right after Titus. Um, and it's, it's very short. Look it up in the table of contents. I hope you'll read the whole thing this afternoon. You can read it in 15 minutes. It's only a little over 400 words. It, it's just a little longer than Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. But it's one of the most significant books or letters or manuscripts that we have in the New Testament. And you'll see why in just a few moments. Now, here's what Paul, I'm going to lift some excerpts. I'm not going to read it all to you, although I could do it. You'd probably have time, but I want you to read it and catch the significance of what Paul is saying here. He's writing to Philemon. Here he is sending into the hand of this converted slave Onesimus back to Laodicea. And this is the way it begins. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, which is probably Philemon's wife, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, who is probably Philemon's son, and to the church in your home, in your house. He says later, a little... I'm jumping a paragraph or two ahead. 
I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do something that is proper. And yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you. Listen to Paul's play on Onesimus' name. His name means useful. And Paul is saying, he wasn't useful to you, stole from you and ran away from you, was formerly useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. And I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending you my very heart whom I wish to keep with me. I wanted to keep him with me that in your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything. Perhaps for this reason, he was parted from you for a while that you should have him back forever. Now here is dynamite, social dynamite. Paul's lighting a fuse here that takes a few hundred or a thousand years to to really begin to move out into the world of reality. No, No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the law, in the Lord. If you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me, as an equal. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay, repay it. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say, more than accept him as a brother, I want you to do more than I say. I know you'll do more than I say. At the same time, prepare also for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I shall be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, welcomes you and greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, here is Onesimus going back to Laodicea, carrying this letter from Paul to Philemon that's in your Bible. Now, why is it so significant? I want you to jump ahead now 39 years. 39 years, from 63, 39 years, to 110 A.D. Paul's dead now. Paul has been, been executed by Nero. I'll say more about him in a moment. One of the most horrible men that ever lived. Paul had his head cut off. Paul's dead now. 110 A.D. Ignatius, what the Bible calls the bishop of the church at Antioch, The word bishop is the Greek word presbyteros, which really means overseer. It means pastor or pastor of pastors. That's how the word bishop gets to be used in some denominations as a 
former pastor who is now working over a group of pastors, overseeing a number of churches. But a bishop can be the overseer of a single church, the pastor of the church. Ignatius was the pastor of the church in Antioch, and he was being taken to Rome. (coughs) Excuse me. He was being taken to Rome as a prisoner to be executed, to be martyred, which he was later. He was being taken from Antioch. Well, he got, they were bringing him across Asia Minor and uh, he got within a few miles of Ephesus. They didn't come to Ephesus. They went to Smyrna, which is about 30 miles away. And Ignatius wrote a letter. It, It can be read. Ignatius wrote a letter from Smyrna to the bishop, the pastor, of the church in Ephesus. And I'll give you one guess who the pastor of the church in Ephesus was. Onesimus, the runaway slave converted by Paul, whose slave owner had been converted by Paul in Ephesus, was now the pastor of the church in Ephesus. What a group of pastors. Paul was the evangelist. John was the pastor. Timothy was the next pastor. And then Onesimus. A fantastic array of Bible history here. Now, why is it so significant? Here's why. At that time, a man by the name of Marcion, who was a heretic, really, was putting together Uh, some scripture that he said was authentic and the early Christian leaders were saying it is not authentic. It is spurious. He doesn't know the inspired writings. So you know what happened at Ephesus? It was at Ephesus that they began to collect the letters and the writings of the apostle Paul. That's where your new Testament began. All of these manuscripts were out in different places. Paul had written a letter to the church at Philippi. He'd written a couple of letters, at least two letters, probably three, maybe four letters to the church at Corinth. He'd written two letters to the church at Thessalonica. He had written letters to the church at Philippi. I think I mentioned that. He wrote to the church at Colossae. He wrote these letters. Now they were all scattered around in different places. So they said, we need to get them together. We need to collect them. And we need somebody who can verify these letters as being the authentic letters of the Apostle Paul and who could better authenticate the writing of the Apostle Paul than someone who was converted under his ministry, tutored by him, and knew his spirit, knew his language, knew his heart, and knew the validity of the scripture. And that's why the little letter of Philemon is in there. It is Philemon's signature to say, I know the letters, the writings of the Apostle Paul that are in this collection are the authentic writings of the apostle. In, in, in one significant way, the New Testament you and I have today is attributable to the work of Onesimus, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, 110 A.D. Isn't that a fantastic thing? Now, what do we have to learn from this? I believe a number of things. You could probably add to this list. Number one, the providence of God. God is going to take care of his people. God is going to be with his people. 
They can be persecuted. They can be killed. They can be scattered. They can be ridiculed. But the gates of hell, the gates of Nero, will not prevail against it. God works all things together for good. Do you think it was an accident that Philemon came to Ephesus on business and since business hours closed at 11 o'clock, he decided to join the crowd that was down there listening to this man reason about God and talk about God. And he went and became a believer, such a believer that he went home and told his wife, Aphia, and she became a Christian. And Archippus told his son, he became a Christian. And they began a church in their house. Was that an accident? What is it? Was it an accident that nine years later, Onesimus, who had run away from the household of Philemon, was in Rome, hiding in Rome, and Paul was in prison there, and he and others were allowed to, at times to preach, and they were preaching, and Onesimus heard the gospel and was converted, and he was tutored by Paul. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be some teacher to have? Wouldn't that be some Sunday school teacher to have? Imagine him sitting there beside Paul in the Mamertine prison, Paul with chains on, sitting there teaching Onesimus about the Word of God. And he says, now look, the right thing to do is to go home. You need to go back. You need to make amends. You need to make restitution. You run away. You need to go back and apologize. You need to go back. And I'm going to send a letter. I'm going to write a letter. And Paul mentions, he said, to Philemon, I want you to notice it's in my writing. Uh, Paul's handwriting. I want you to go back. And he goes back. And Philemon obviously did more than Paul asked. That's what Paul kind of hinted, wasn't it? He said, I know you'll do even more than accept him as a brother. You will free him. You will set him free. And I believe Philemon said, Onesimus, you're a free man. You go do what God's called you to do. And he began to preach and he finds himself now as pastor of the church that Paul established in Paul and John and Timothy and the other New Testament leaders established in Ephesus. You think God can't take care of you? You think God's not going to work everything together for good in your life? Now, everything's not going to be good. It wasn't good for Paul to be in chains, imprisoned in Rome. But God was using that for something far beyond anything we could imagine. The providence of God in not only inspiring the word of God, but protecting the word of God and collecting the word of God. I I wish you'd go back and do some reading about how we got our Bible. A lot of people don't know how we got it. It's another miracle in and of itself. A miracle of God, how we got this book. It didn't just float down from heaven. God didn't write it up there and throw it over the balcony one day and say, there it is. It worked its way out through human beings in human situations, inspired by God, protected by God and preserved by God so that it could be a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our feet and a light on our pathway. So God is working things together for good in the life of this church. We have a future. We have a past. We have a present and we have a future. Not because of any of us are here, but because he's here. Because of the presence of God with his people, the providence of God. That's how we got this Bible. Another thing this story tells me is the ingenuity of Paul, the imagination of Paul, the creativity of Paul. He said, well, if they're not going to listen to it in the synagogue, I'll go down here and rent this hall 
and I'll preach and teach every day from 11 to 4 and we'll just see what happens. And all of Asia Minor heard the gospel, Luke tells us. Because people were always coming to Ephesus on business. It was a seaport town. Great trading center. Paul's ingenuity. And my friends, we're going to need to do the same in our church. The world is dramatically changing around us. And in a meeting this past week, Tommy was there and a number of us in the, uh, the uh, church council. I said, I think we need to call some folks together now that we have, we're seeing Vision 2000 come to culmination. These buildings are going to take place. We need to have a group come together now, a diverse group within our church. And let's start talking about Mission 2000. Mission 2000. What are the new ministries we're going to need in, in the, the year beyond our tenure here? All that Steve was telling me the other day about the fantastic things that are tele, taking place in television and the combination of, the, of television with the computer. The world is changing around us. How are we going to use it? Where is the Tyrannus Hall for us in the 21st century? Where can we move, not literally pick up this building and move, but where can we move in mission and in ministry to more effectively reach San Antonio and South Texas and the world in which we live? Things we've probably not even thought of yet, but that are out there on the horizon that some of you who think futuristically and are knowing what's going to be happening, let's get together and see what we need to be doing to shape the ministries of our church so that we can more effectively meet the needs of the world of the 21st century. Paul used ingenuity everywhere he went. He used his imagination. I think vision, the best definition I've ever read of vision is sanctified imagination. An imagination that says, Lord, if this is what maybe could happen, maybe what you want me to do, let me start and try. And if it's what we need to do, you will bless it. And if, it, if it's not blessed, we'll move in another direction and we'll move in another direction. So we need to do learn something in this story of the ingenuity of the Apostle Paul and we need to be ingenious ourselves. We need to be creative, imaginative ourselves about what is the best way to reach San Antonio in the 21st century. Then I want to say a word about the message Paul preached. When Paul said over here in Philemon in the little letter to Philemon Perhaps for this reason, he was parted from you for a while that you should have him back forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me, an equal, accept him as you would me. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than I say. Accept him now as a brother. Do you know what that verse of scripture did? You know what that little sentence did? Along with the little sentence in the book that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia that we read a moment ago. There is neither 